0: Hi everyone, this is Gene Bliss, author of Chief Customer Officer 2.0, How to Build Your Customer-Driven Growth Engine, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of
1: modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today we're joined by Jean Bliss, and we're going to talk about her book, Chief Customer Officer 2.0: How to Build Your Customer Driven Growth Engine. Jean Bliss is the founder and president of Customer Bliss and the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Jean pioneered the role of the chief customer officer, holding the first-ever CCO role at Land's Inn, Microsoft, Colwell Banker, and Allstate. Reporting to each company's CEO, she moved the customer onto the strategic agenda, redirecting priorities to create transformational changes to each brand's customer experience, and This is what amazes me. She has driven achievement of 95% loyalty rates, improving customer experiences across 50,000 person organizations. (laughs) Jean is also the author of the bestseller, I Love You More Than My Dog, (laughs) Five Decisions That Drive Extreme Customer Loyalty in Good Times and Bad. She's a highly sought-after speaker, keynoting high-profile conferences and corporate events. She's appeared in major media outlets, including Fast Company, Forbes, MSNBC, and the Associated Press, and now at long last, The Marketing Book Podcast. Gene, congratulations (laughs) on Chief Customer (laughs) Officer 2.0, and welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad to finally get a chance to talk to you, Douglas, and uh, great to be
1: here. So can you talk about how you learn the importance of customer experience from your dad.
0: Oh, I love that you asked that question. Yes. My dad, for those of you who know Pinocchio, my dad was like Geppetto, an Italian wonderful soul. Uh, There were seven kids in my family and he had a Buster Brown shoe store and we learned about humanity and business and how you do and do not treat people by every single one of us had to stock the shelves, sell the shoes, everything that we had to do. And we watched this man, you know, I mean, people would come in and my dad sold Buster Brown shoes, which was, he was often the first pair of hands that were laid on little bitty baby feet to put a pair of shoes on them. Mm -hmm. And these women would, for example, sometimes open up their pocketbooks and not have enough money. And my dad would say, get those shoes on your little one's feet. Bring back the money when you're back in town. Mm. And it was just a joyous experience and a privilege and really kicked me off into understanding how you do it and how you don't.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As I recall, there were like generations of customers though. In other words, uh, they would come back for their own kids. Is that correct?
0: Yes, he shooed a generation of children and their children's children. And when he retired, a line of people almost three blocks long stood to say goodbye to this man that buying shoes would never be the same. That, and, and this is part of what I say to people when I give speeches is he became a part of the story of people's lives. Mm-hmm. That at that time in their life, when they thought about their child and their newborn, my dad, my dad was part of that story. And um, pretty, pretty remarkable.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my uh, grandfather and my uncle had a, a drug store. They're both pharmacists for many, many years. And I can remember when I was little going there in the summer and just being there. And it's amazing how many, how often I think about that in, in my own business career. Just the way they had these relationships with their customers. And um, it's
0: true, yeah. And, and and for me, it was I was so fortunate because after. Growing up that way, I was able to go to Lands End as one of my very first jobs. It really is what professionally gave me my career. And what you just mentioned about your grandfather and your your was it your dad Douglas? My, my too? uncle, your uncle. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, was that at Lands End? We thought our, of ourselves as merchants, meaning the small time town, town merchant where you know the people and you curate an experience and the products for the customers in a loving, caring kind of way. And so I went from small scale merchant to very large scale merchant and learned how to turn that into a real business. So I was I was del- twice blessed in my life in terms of this career path.
1: Mm-hmm. So Jean, there's a... Uh... Now more and more books being written about the customer experience, and there are more and more uh, explanations out there as to why it makes such good financial <laughs> sense. And it seems like uh, you're going to be busy for a, you're still going to be busy for a long time because more and more companies are understanding that the customer experience really is the the ultimate differentiator. Can you just explain a bit more uh, why the customer experience is so? important and and why uh, some people think it's really the only, uh, that we're entering this era of the customer experience as the primary form of marketing.
0: Sure, of course, and, and happy to do that. It's a good question. You know, one of the things that I really try to help people is you need to earn the right to growth by improving customers' lives. We need to move past this approach of Marketing is going to get something or acquire something or convert someone. It's about earning. And uh, Douglas, there were really three, I think of as seminal moments that have gotten us to this point, this almost frenzied point around customer experience. The first one is through the last economic downturn, you know, we've gone through many in my lifetime, yours too, I'm sure, but. In this last one especially, leaders finally clicked into the importance of organic growth from your existing customer base. I think that it's been seeping in, but now people are doing the math. It's clear and more understandable about the fact that you lose a customer, they're much more valuable than the cost to bring in a new customer. In fact, that's one of the the, the things I talk about a lot is customers as assets of your business. The second thing that's occurred is, the power and the importance of social media that customers have this megaphone in their hand and you can run, but you cannot hide. This isn't about positioning your way to customer love or creating a brand statement that doesn't manifest itself in how you experientially or operationally deliver. And I'm, Thrilled about that forcing function, I have to say it's it's the greatest gift to those of us who have been singing this song for so long. Mm. And finally, the last is after all these years, you know I've been doing this work since 1982, when um, the excellence books came out and all of the others, where we were talking about the importance of customer experience. But CEOs are finally realizing that. After all these years of saying go be customer centric, go be customer focused, the silos don't organically unite. Mm. Yes. And and it, yes, you know that, right? <laughs> right. And, and it's not that they don't want to. The silo leaders aren't bad people. They're yeah. great people. They're doing great work, but doing they're what defi- they're rewarded for. da And 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 they're defining success by their KPIs, their metrics, and what's on their scorecard, exactly to your point. And those scorecards mean we're dropping customers into the Bermuda Triangle between each of those (laughs) silos. I'm laughing to keep from crying. you got to snort. Yeah, (laughs) through the Bermuda Triangle, I call it. Um, In fact, I just wrote an article called The Mortgage Bermuda Triangle, Um, Mm. because the silos, again, aren't united. And that's why this CCO role, or customer experience role, or whatever it might be, for a period of time in the organization is required to create a comprehensive view to unite the silos. Mm-hmm.
1: It's funny. I got a call from a, a friend who owns, who runs a company, and he said, "Hey, you know, we're uh, we've acquired this other company, and we need some branding help." So of course, you know, always <clears> wonder, what does that mean? I know, right? And uh, of course, they're thinking, you know, we need a logo and whatever, and I started... (laughs) A
0: slogan. We need a really good slogan, right? Right. And so uh,
1: I had read your book, so I was starting to um, uh, channel you, and I was explaining to them that, you know, and I sent him a big, like a 10-page memo, just explain, because he's a very good friend, and I can use Mm -hmm. some of this copy for some other companies, and I was explaining that, you know, uh, the experience your customers have is now much more important than what you say about yourself. Yeah. But it you know took a little and the next thing I knew I had a meeting with these folks, and now they, <laughs> so they're, so they 're sort of like, "Oh, oh, so we 're going to get there, but I, I, I was getting just a taste uh, and a certain admiration for for what you 've done with these organizations now, uh, what I would like to ask if it's, if we could do this, there are five monumental pieces of your book, and you call them the, uh, the, competencies. the five, five competencies of this this business engine." <laughs> Could you walk us through uh, the five areas, and then uh, I've got a few other questions I want to ask you about that.
0: Of course, and I'll give you the cliff note version of each of these. And (laughs) but you listeners
1: better read this book.
0: (laughs) You got two hours, Um, so and and the other thing I'm going to just hum a few bars on Douglas is the fact that I call them competencies because. For forevermore, this work has been about reacting, right? A CEO or leader goes out in the field and here comes a squeaky wheel issue. This is what we work on. Mm -hmm. Or a customer calls in or we get some customer letters and we're reading what I call the bleeding heart letters in a meeting. They're not necessarily the right issues or whatever, but those are the ones that got read. And so that's what we go work on or the survey results come out and every silo, in a well-intended way, none of this is malintended, right? Um, well-intended way starts chipping away at something specific to their silo to try to get lift on the score. And it's this lack of reacting and not focusing on the few versus everybody cherry-picking the many that I call these competencies because this is about embedding a skill set that does three things. It changes how leaders lead. It changes how they communicate and advocate, and it changes how you operationalize the work that you do. And these aren't, um, you know, red, yellow, and green dots. We need to move from project plan movement to customer life improvement. You like that, that could be a jingle, right? Yeah.
1: Hey. For, <laughs> um, but, you know, all three of those areas, you talk about change, and I don't think there's anything more difficult for organizations than change. And that's why I, I was almost in disbelief <laughs> at parts of the book saying there is no way just, how in the world did she do this, and that's why these five parts are uh and and you learn these i I have a feeling you learn the hard way you've I learned out, the hard way, yeah I
0: did, yeah, I call it pushing the rock up the hill. I mean, what you don't know because we're on the phone is I'm only five foot tall, and that's cause that darn rock's fallen on my head for so many years <laughs> <laughs> Right.
1: so let's go through the first one is uh honor and manage customers as assets.
0: That is right. And the notion behind this is let's start with a very, very, very simple understanding of what customers did voting with their feet. As and, and it goes like this. Each of these unite to tell the story of customers' lives and how well as an organization you did or did not earn the right to growth. So as a result of the experience we delivered this past month or quarter or year before annual planning, Did we earn the right to growth? And this is simple math, hard to get to because of those silos and the way they're measuring and tracking things. But let's do customer math in whole numbers, Douglas. So let's say you're a big company. We brought in 50,000 new customers. This is our volume and value. Great. We're good at acquisition. But in the same breath, we need to do the math. But we lost 38,000 customers in this same period. And here's the value of those customers. And what is the net asset growth of our customer base? Now, the importance of this is that a lot of organizations, you know this, use retention rates, which give you a false positive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's say you're at 75%. Sounds pretty good. Let's pat ourselves on the back. But we're not thinking about the lives of the humans, the multitudes of humans that walked away.
1: Mm-hmm. And well, as well as what you just mentioned, the actual value. You could be bringing in, that's uh, right. More customers, but they're actually, they might be less profitable.
0: Exactly. So the other thing is, I'm Italian, you know, you want leaders to think about the people, the humans, and I want to give them agita, which is sick in the belly. We want, <laughs> we want to create sick in the belly and part of this work, you know, a lot of this I worked at, I learned at Land's End, other things I figured out through these big, big companies that I was, you know, navigating across the silos is To know the life, you need to imagine the life. And the best companies that do this really think about the lives. It's not a deck and spreadsheets where you're just paging through and people's eyes are glazed over. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because a lot of the customer conversations are a deck and a pitch. All of this is intended to take the customer off the spreadsheet and really get leaders to care. And the second piece is caring. (laughs) And
1: nothing gets them to care like math.
0: Yeah. And simple math. And here's the deal about this. I'm not against surveys. I'm going to tell you where they go, but let's start with what customers actually did versus what they say they're going to do in a survey. This -hmm. is irrefutable. You can't cross tab your way out of this math, this simple, simple math. Mm. And then, you know, besides the, the, the net asset growth, there may be a couple other things. For example, if you're an insurance company after a claim, what number of customers left us, or what number of our customers went from our highest tier to our low next tier down? Again, behavioral, irrefutable customer behavior things. These are only two or three things. This isn't one of those dashboards, Douglas, where the type gets smaller and smaller and smaller. My chart. Yeah. Right. So we can fit more on the page.
1: Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. That was my yeah. takeaway.
0: That's right, and and the the behavior change piece of this is leaders need to A, build this together. This isn't about the CCO or somebody creating a proposal and pitching it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We need the CFO, the CEO, the CMO, all participating in this to define what do we mean by new? What do we mean by lost or last? La- lapsed, easy for me to say. How are we going to define value? Because otherwise, it's you're going to just refute all that as well. Mm-hmm. The other behavioral piece is fearlessly sharing this. So we connect the dots of this experience work to the whole organization, start every key meeting with this bar chart, or as one of my clients have done, and we've done with many, we start with bowls of marbles. Did you read about that story? Mm -hmm. So um, when we introduced this for the first time at AAA, for example, we, and this was many years ago now, so their data is much different, but um, we introduced two big bowls of marbles and we created a mathematical equation to new and lost. And we presented them with two giant bowls of marbles. Here's our new customers. Another bowl of marbles are lost customers, volume and value. And at the time the lost bowl of marbles was nearly as full as the new bowl of marbles. <laughs> and
1: that made it so visual, even just reading it, I was like, wow, it's yeah. like, uh, you can't escape that no. you're losing customers.
0: And that that's your incremental growth.
1: Yeah. You know, if yeah. if
0: not for the loss of the marble, we would be you know more profitable. And then you know what you can say: um, we lost our marbles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, that's right. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Oh. The second piece of this is honor.
1: Well, let me back up though. Yeah, my go ahead. my take. Uh, just to bring uh, cocktails into this, uh, no. the first part about honor and manage customers' assets and the mathematics behind it. I had this visual of a a straw that was stirring the drink. Mm. It became the thing that was like the glue. It is the glue. Yeah.
0: It is the glue, and it's actually one of the very, very first things we frequently do, or when we've got a CEO or somebody who says, this customer stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. fuzzy-wuzzy hat bear, right, kumbaya, Mm -hmm. and I say, okay, let's do your math. (laughs) And even if it's in a lot of what we start with, my favorite word is clunky is good. Even if you've got to go out, and I'm going an to age myself, at Land's End we called them easy treves. Now it's just you know going out and creating Excel spreadsheets. But even if you've got to go out and manually grab the data, manually do the math, let's show you what is happening with your customer base. And that is... The outcome of customer experience is not the outcome of just your sales force. You know, a lot of companies, these numbers are owned and reported by the sales organization. And this is not about just the sales organization. Yeah. As a result of the entire experience we delivered, did we as a company earn the right to growth?
1: Well, it also seemed like the salespeople could say, yes, for once, we're not being blamed for everything, particularly those things that are beyond our control.
0: Well, but it's interesting because sometimes we get a lot of protectionism around it when we first work on this, um, and that's why there's this whole cultural piece where we have to release and say this is not just sales data.
1: Right, right. The so, other, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. The other, go ahead.
0: Oh, the second part of it is the honor word. Mm-hmm. And what that means is if you know the customer is the asset of your business, are you going to do be beha- things have behaviors that send them away? You know, for example, I have clients who have lost you know multi million dollar customers over a thirty five dollar policy fee or something. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. So, are we honoring and are we giving the front line the ability to make exceptions, make decisions, be trusted that this great customer who they know and have nurtured and have taken care of? You know, let's waive the $200 overnight fee because it's not worth losing them. Yeah. So, you know, w- what stupid rules exist? I'd say stupid because that's one of the things that we say. You don't have to call it the word stupid. But what rules have we created that are so hard and fast that we're actually driving customers away and c- driving our front line crazy because then they spend their time doing workarounds around them anyway?
1: Right. you mentioned that uh, every time you meet with a client, you ask how good they are at building their stop doing list.
0: Oh, exactly. exactly. Exactly.
1: Because otherwise, I guess they just keep adding on more and more rules. Um, Well,
0: not only rules, but work, right? Mm -hmm. It's layered on top, and then the whole thing implodes from the weight of it.
1: (laughs) So the second one is a line around experience.
0: That's right. Um, what I want people to think about this is that your journey map or how you uh, redefine your business is got to be based on what your customers are trying to accomplish. And most customers, you know, the stages of a journey aren't linear. They're circular. You know, we know with the information we know from how people absorb social media and things, it may, they may go to one stage and then go back, et cetera. But, The point of this is understanding that there are separate sets of activities or objectives that customers have Mm -hmm. and realigning your operation around delivering to help customers meet their objectives versus every silo doing their own thing. And that becomes your defaulted experience.
1: Mm -hmm. And do a lot of companies try to perfectly map it the first time? Is that become something that makes them get them frustrated and not want to continue?
0: Well, again, that's where I like to say clunky is good. We've got books and books of Visio maps around the world that um, have been done for that purpose. And I, I say, first of all, just get the stages right. Just get the names of the stages right. Talk to your customers. Talk to your frontline. Redefine what customers are trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then change, again, here's where the behavioral piece, change leaders' language to instead of the old silo we poured out, marketing, operations, sales, what are you doing? Start with what is the new customer experience? What is the onboarding experience? What is the solving a problem experience? Mm-hmm. You know, And by doing that, leaders now require multiple silos to work together.
1: Yeah, and another uh, thing that you, uh, expression, I, I think it was in the book a few times, was don't try and boil the ocean. Yes. Just get started. Yes. Your clunky clunky is, good. is good. Yeah.
0: Yes, jinx. Yeah. Clunky. Are <laughs> <laughs> <eat> you a coke? <laughs> oh, clunky is good. I want that drink with the straw in it. Okay. Um <laughs> so what happens when we build this framework is it also allows us to ask ourselves and do some other things now because what these stages do is build a framework that all of the other competencies align around so Mm -hmm. that there's consistency. And we all know that the repetitive nature of messaging and work is what drives embedding things. So one of the things that we do is uh, we'll talk to employees and customers and by stage of the journey, we'll build a code of conduct. This is where we bring culture to life instead of etching. We love customers on a crystal ball by, by stage (laughs) of the journey we say, what must we always do to honor customers? What will we never do to distrust customers? And by aligning it to each stage, it becomes operationally relevant versus these helicopter statements that people don't have any idea how to operationalize or connect to their job.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then let's go on to the third one, uh, sure. which is build a customer listening path.
0: Yes. Am I being too long-winded, Douglas? I can go no. a little
1: faster. <laughs> no, not at
0: all. <laughs> You're like hastening me along. I like oh, it. Oh, no, but
1: there's there's five of them, and I just, I I'm just amazed at... what's that? Another thing that's interesting is that you you've <laughs> just boiled it down to these five. You know, I thought there might be 50.
0: <laughs> well, there's a lot of little nits and gnats inside of these five, but, you know, this is 35 years of work. Oh, I'm yeah. really exhausted. This is 35 years of work, and the other piece of it is... What I do is I call it coaching um, because I want leaders to own this. This Mm -hmm. isn't about my coming in with a huge deck. And so it needed to be operationally relevant and understandable. And people really kind of dig this framework because it's Mm -hmm. very understandable and operational.
1: And let me add something that you say you want them to own it. And there was one part of the book where you said um, uh, sound an alarm if you present (laughs) these five competencies uh, and you get the response. Sounds great. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that a run, trap? Run?
0: Because this isn't about putting the monkey on the back of the CCO or the CXO or whatever. In fact, when we kick off these five competencies, we actually assign um, key members of the C-suite to each of the five. So they're part of building the yeah. beta version, the clunky version of each one. And then the CCO is the glue that helps to knit it together and enable it to turn become a repeatable platform. Um, but, but that's a, it's
1: like a signal that you really may not have that buy-in if they say, Oh, that's great, Jean. Why don't you go ahead and do that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why in the back of the book, I give all these kind of diagnostic questions and things to, for a potential candidate to know, you know, is this real or is this Memorax? Remember that old? Yes. I do. Yeah, I know. We're old though. <laughs> um, or, you know, not really old. We're young with old hearts. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, yeah. And I'm, I'm just as immature as I ever was. I've, I've clung to my immaturity. Uh,
0: I think that's a good thing. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, competency three is about, again, getting rid of all that crazy silo stuff that happens. The social media people present a report and everybody runs around and does something on that. Great report, but it's a one off. Mm-hmm. You know, the survey people present something, again, lots of scurried activity um this, some other piece of information that, you know, we do sociological listening and scurrying around. And mm-hmm. so the notion around this is to bring together multitudes of listening feedback that we get, but organize it into a common framework of uh, categorization and then organize those multiple parts of listening by stage of the journey again, so that you continue the story. So let's say You know, we start the story with competency one. As a result of the experience we delivered, did we earn the right to grow? Competency two, let's now traverse the stages of our journey to understand why this is happening. Competency three, we say, well, in onboarding, um, we could see from the, the unaided or the volunteer feedback we get from complaints or social media, we are spiking a high volume of complaints in this area. Our verbatim feedback is telling us, here's what they're talking about, and our survey results are validating this. Let's circle this issue. We need to see if we have to focus on this
1: mm-hmm.
0: And it galvanizes. Go ahead, what we can say?
1: I was gonna say, well, can you explain survey score addiction as it relates <laughs> to this?
0: yeah. so the the notion around survey score addiction is that so many companies start with the score, and their their whole approach around customer, experience or customer commitment is what's our score? Did we get lift on the score? And, you know, my notion is we don't want to start with the score. We want to use the score to validate if we're doing the right things, but more importantly, care about customers' lives. And that's why we want to tell the story of the life and end with the score. Don't start with the score because then the the incentive and the you know the intent and the motivation shouldn't be about getting the score. it should be about improving the life
1: mm-hmm. and maybe you could explain what you mean by experiential listening,
0: Oh, I would love to so there's really three kinds of customer listening. if I could kind of wrap this in a bow. Number one is the volunteer or unaided stuff, which comes from a lot of sources, social media, complaints into your call centers, et cetera. Really, really powerful because if you organize it, you're going to get enough volume that you're moving yourself out of the realm of reading bleeding heart letters to being able to say, we had 300 comments on this. Aided listening then is the surveys or anything you push to customers. Mm experiential listening makes it real to leaders and what that means is requiring your leadership team and many many layers inside of your organization to do what you're requiring customers to have to do to do business with you. So for example in that that one stage I was talking about on, on- onboarding, let's say you're a SaaS company and part of onboarding was to download some files. And before we go into what I call a customer room, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, we say to the leaders, before this meeting, try to download these five files. So we present the f- complaint information and the social media. We present the survey score information. And then we say, you tried to download this. How did it go? And now they can say, oh, I know why we've got so many complaints about this. I, it took me four hours to make this happen.
1: Yeah, It's not like Gene's making this up. <laughs>
0: Well, and you know, they need to step through the shoes. Yes. And without it, it's just presentations and decks and what I call transactional or situational commitment. They slide into the meeting, they hear your deck, they nod their head, they walk away.
1: Yeah. And you know, that's why that show, I think it's called Undercover Boss. Oh, right. Is so interesting because in each of these cases, these CEOs are learning so much just by disguising themselves and going into their own organizations
0: they are. and And, you know, the the whole part of the point of this this experiential listening is to turn it into a discipline. You know, at Adobe, I talk about that, uh, you know, almost two thousand of their leadership team have to go through this immersion every quarter or something. And that, Immersion activity is now attached to bonuses, you know, not just not just the getting the score um, outcome.
1: Yeah, and actually, uh, it brings to mind my local transit company where I am. Um, their employees are required to take public transportation once a month or quarter or something like that.
0: Yeah, I just read yesterday, I think it was in Fast Company, about a company that's a cleaning service. And their people have to go in and clean toilets and offices and stuff, which mm-hmm. I think is brilliant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think that might be good for a lot of employees, even if they're not in uh, the cleaning business. Um, to clean toilets. <laughs> yeah, you know, just to keep, keep your workforce, uh, you know, humble and, okay. and, and appreciative. Um, so let's go on to the next one, which is sure. uh, proactive experience, reliability, and innovation.
0: So this means you should know before your customers tell you what's broken. Mm. And again, going back to this whole notion of, You know, do we know the stages of the journey and the top 10 to 15 priority touch points across the journey? Leaders should care about your operational performance in those intersection points and how as a unit you're doing with as much rigor as they say, how are we doing in sales? Or if you're public EBITDA, because where you are performing in those operational places that customers care about is where your value erosion or value growth will go. Mm-hmm. And that directly impacts renewals, repurchase, and advocacy.
1: And it brought to mind what I think a lot of companies or people do, where they're thinking, eh, if there's a problem, the customer will let me know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. No! Well, and that's why everybody's relied on surveys. But that's, you know, a month ago at dinner, somebody gave us a survey result.
1: Yeah, that's like probably, a, a, that's going to be a day late and a dollar short. That's like, right. You wait until then.
0: That's right. So that's that the notion about that. And also around building what I call CXD, a customer experience redesign or design competency that's as heralded and understood as new product development. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you have a team that knows how to cross-functionally build experiences and put as much resource into that that you put into you know product design or sales features?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I keep going back to the, the math at number right. one. So, um, and then the fifth is uh, one company leadership, accountability, and culture. And it just made me wonder, has this ever worked where the leadership is not bought in?
0: No, you, you know, otherwise you're push, push, pushing. You Mm -hmm. can get some, some little top, you know, bottoms up and middle up things done, but you're not going to translate to transform. It's going to be incremental
1: and lip service.
0: Yeah. And just a lot of exhausted piece people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't get me wrong. the, The culture and the behaviors is embedded all the way through this. Um, but what I wanted to make it its own competency and not the last one on purpose, but to say this is the what I call the prove it to me competency. You know, talk, talk, talk is cheap, but are you really going to change things to make it easier for employees to deliver value and to drive regular accountability to this stuff, which is one of the Achilles heels of this work? So, for example, you know, we've all gone through the thing where the billing is broken or whatever's broken. Hey, Joe, you work on billing. Will you go fix it? Well, Joe goes out with his secluded billing team and works on some stuff around billing, but it may or may not be right for the customer. And then he comes back and salutes the flag and says, Hey, we got billing fixed. Um, but it's it, really how, what did you do? So one of the the big things here that we work on is Uh, Building this customer room where it actually unites the entire journey and we tell the story of customers' lives. You know, as a result of the experience, did we deliver or did we earn the right to grow? We traverse the stages underneath each stage. We show screenshots, we play the calls, we show the journey on the wall. Yeah, we mm-hmm. make them walk the wall. I don't want any chairs in the room, ideally. You know, yeah. get up out of your chairs. And I, I thought and- about
1: the marbles on the table. <laughs> yeah, And yeah. I think you also said this is where you should bring your new employees.
0: You People use this as a new employee in, in place as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you do is you start circling the emerging issues, and then you say to the leaders, okay, there's 10 circled. We can do three. And this is what takes the CCO out of the beggar, is which three should we work on? And you need to pony up resources to work on this. hmm and then you use the cadence of the customer room to keep bringing back those teams every month or quarter to present back to the leadership team what they're working on, to see the renewed information, to see any new issues to be dealt with, and to drive this regular cadence. And that keeps on you know, embedding, embedding, embedding with the leaders. And over t- time, it becomes natural language, natural what we would do in the organization.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned that... Um in your career, you you could make traction in some companies, but you just couldn't make some companies budge an inch. In others, can you explain the concept of the power core and how you first stumbled on that?
0: Sure. The, yes, the power core is something that I wouldn't have really been able to figure out unless I had been at the really big big companies, Allstate, Microsoft, etc. That I that I was a part of. And the notion behind the power core is that. You know, a lot of us in this work will, will, for, you know, take the hill and take the hill and take the hill by by telling the story and being evangelical about it and really trying to drive the work. But you need to understand before you start the work, what part of the organization has their hand on the throttle of driving the business?
1: Really has their hand on it. Really us. has their Truly. hand, you
0: know. Truly. So, for example, at Microsoft and many technology companies, when I was there, especially it was the, the, the you know, the, the product part of the organization. And so we needed to first really align and dance with the product power core. Mm-hmm. And so one of the first things we did there, for example, is that box that used to pop up and said, we see you've experienced a problem. Do you want to tell Microsoft about it? That was actually the code for that was the Dr. Watson box. And the notion of this was now we're sending a beeline of constant information to the developers. And earn the right to keep doing the work at different parts of the organization by dancing and ringing the bell with, of the power core first. Mm-hmm. And if you can dance with the power core, you can then start doing other work that isn't as natural to the organization.
1: So when you go into a company, one of the things that you consciously or i guess subconsciously are, are attuned to right away is is this an organization where the ca- the power core is uh marketing or is this an yep. engineering focused that's or is right this a sales focused business where's the real power
0: that's right and we do that with the, whoever the customer leader is or the is c-suite to say you know w- we know this is what you care about we're going to get some traction here and then we're gonna you know because these competencies customer experience redesign you know sales guys are like what not all sales guys. I'm not trying to insult anybody at all, but some, you know, process redesign may or may not be a core competency of an organization. So starting there and falling on your sword there, you know, may not be the best thing to do.
1: Gene, mm-hmm. what are are some of the biggest uh, inhibitors of this uh, of being successful in this approach that you've seen? Um, what, what, you are know, the, what are the killers? Not
0: getting your executives engaged in the effort. Starting with a mantra, we love customers, not an action <laughs> right. not an That action was a crystal plan. ball,
1: I think you were talking yep, yep, about. Yeah, I've yep. seen
0: all kinds of shenanigans on that one. Um, not breaking the work into bite-sized pieces.
1: Oh, trying to boil the ocean?
0: Yep. <laughs> um, focusing on the score and not the operational behavior that drives it. Mm-hmm. And um, making decisions based on what employees think versus what customers need. Uh,
1: yes, a big one.
0: Especially in companies that are... Are zealot driven, you know, companies that build power sports or technology, you know, any company where the people building it are also really, really zealot users. Uh-huh. We tend to use our own voice to drive what to build versus really understanding customers' lives. Not asking customers and surveys what they need, but observing lives and taking that to have innovation.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Gene, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: You know, I think this it's about really honoring the customer as the asset of your business. This is this is an attitude shift, not a dashboard, and that you have to start and, and shift the organization that this is about earning the right to growth by elevating and um, managing and honoring that asset. Without mm-hmm. that, you can't really do the rest of this work.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it goes beyond uh, the plaque on the wall. Yes. Uh, it just seems like, is part of your or a part of your career has been going into a room full of right-handed people saying, "Okay, I need you to use your left hand now."
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you know what's funny is one of my 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 little indicators of how well it's going is when I do this work, I I'll do a five-hour kickoff on the first day with the C-suite and a small team, and then a four-hour on the next day. And my, I will always look at, there's some people inevitably who are sitting there with their arms crossed. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I love to see how long it takes them to unfold their arms. <laughs>
1: Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, that's a good example of most communication is nonverbal.
0: Well, yeah. And you know, one or two snorts into it and I get them to usually unfold their arms anyway. Yeah, they but realize. you,
1: in, when you're doing a workshop like that, you're having, you're starting to see who the arm cross, crossed arm people are, and then you have to maybe do a little bit extra to make sure that they're on board.
0: Well, and you know what the biggest thing is that I find that people care about the most when they bring somebody in from the outside? That they've done the work. I was a practitioner for over 25 years. I've pushed the rock up the hill. Mm -hmm. This isn't something I've observed and written papers about. You know, This is operationally relevant. It connects to their life, and they get that it connects to the growth of the business. Once you get that with them, the arms uncross pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in a snort and off we go.
1: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, So what books have inspired your work and career?
0: Well, you know, I, I think that In Search of Excellence was interesting. When they were writing that, they were kind of asking us some questions at Land's End. That was many, many moons ago. ago. Mm-hmm. These are some seminal books that just started some things off. The other book that what we used a lot at Land's End was the Jan Carlson book, which really penned moments of truth. And, and for me, a, a, a beacon book in my life is kind of goofy is the, the Velveteen Rabbit. There you is, go. Yeah. How do you, how do you behave as a human?
1: Mm, that's great. Gene. how best can listeners learn more about you and your book?
0: I was so fortunate. I married this guy named Bliss. So my oh, website, I thought that was like
1: your professional name, like your no, stage name. No, <laughs>
0: I went all over Match.com to find him. No, I'm just kidding. I was <laughs> just, just lucky. So customerbliss.com, everything is there. Um, at Gene Bliss on Twitter, but it's all there. And uh, lots and lots of gifts for people. I'm a giver.
1: That's great. The name of the book is Chief Customer Officer 2.0, How to Build Your Customer-Driven Growth Engine. The author is Jean Bliss. Jean, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Douglas, it's a joy. Thank you.
1: And that closes the book on episode 81 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free guides from my marketing agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Do you have a question? It really makes my day when listeners contact me with questions and book recommendations. If I can answer your question or help point you in the right direction to get the information you need, please let me know if I can help. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Or heck, just tweet me up using hashtag marketingbook. And please join us next time as we talk with Stu Hynek about his new book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, The Untapped Selling Power of Contact Marketing. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Well, and Douglas, I snort when I laugh, so that may happen. If you laugh, I'll laugh, and then you (laughs) get a snort out of me. Great,
1: great, great. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. That's fine. That's fine.